This podcast is brought to you by Leo Batari, the author of a new book entitled, What Anyone Can Do. Please listen to podcast number 749, where Greg and Leo speak about the power of surrounding yourself with the right people in your life. As Leo points out in today's fragmented, social media-driven world, it's become harder to connect with people on a personal level. Yet, this is precisely what's needed. Please join Greg and Leo in this lively podcast, number 749, where Leo reveals how to attain what you want in life. If you want more information about author Leo Batari, please visit www.leobatari, spelt B-O-T-T-A-R-Y, dot com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And joining us from New York is Jason Harris. And Jason was referred to me by Ryan Holiday. And many of you who've listened to my podcasts uh, know about Ryan. Ryan's got another book coming out here that he just emailed me for doing a little research on. This book that Jason has is called The Soulful Art of Persuasion. The 11 Habits That Will Make Anyone a Master Influencer. Good day to you, Jason. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, and I appreciate Ryan with the hookup. Well, we appreciate Ryan as well. He's definitely a connector, and we appreciate having you on the show. And, you know, I was just reflecting back as before I got on uh, about persuasion, and uh, I'm going to let my podcast listeners know that podcast 215, which was done, The Power of Persuasion with Dr. Robert Levine, PhD, uh, he wrote the, the Geography of Time as well. Persuasion is an interesting subject, and Jason has a, an interesting take on it. But Jason, before we begin, I'm going to let my listeners know something about you. He's the CEO of award-winning creative agency Mechanism and the co-founder of the Creative Alliance. Uh, Jason has worked closely with brands through a blend of soul and science to create provocative campaigns and engage audiences. Ionic Brands includes Peloton, Ben & Jerry's, Miller's Coors, HBO, United Nations. Under his leadership and Mechanism was named the Ad Age agency A-list twice to their best place to work and to Creativity's Creativity 50. Uh, He's been named in the top 10 most influential social impact leaders as well as the 4A list of 100 people to make advertising great. His methods are studied in case studies at Harvard Business School. And for my listeners, you can go to thesoulfulart.com to get more information about the book we're speaking about. And you can go to his agency, uh, and that one is just Mechanism. And there's also some YouTube videos out there. He did an interview um, with Lewis Howells, which uh, I happened to watch, which I thought was interesting as well. So um, let's start off here, Jason. You state that the secret to be the opposite of the greasy salesperson or the self-deluded blowhard that everyone is up at guard against. What are the four principles that you really talk about uh, in the art of persuasion? So I talk about, um, first of all, that intro makes me sound much more uh, accomplished than I feel, but uh, (laughs) nice intro. And mechanism, our agency, 
website, it's with a K, not a CH, because when we started the company 13 years ago, we tried to get mechanism.com with a CH, but it was taken. And instead of uh, arguing with my partners for another name, we just decided to make it a K. M-E-K-A-N-I-S-M.com. It'll be in our blog entry as well for people to go check out the agency. Great ads up there, by the way. I just watched some this morning, uh, plus a great agency for anyone out there looking for an ad agency. Definitely go to Mechanism. Thanks. So the four principles that you mentioned, which is really the sort of basis on the book, is uh, the first one is original, which is all about leaning into your quirks, being unapologetically yourself. Uh, The second is generous, which is trying to give something away at every opportunity without expecting anything in return. Uh, The third principle is empathetic, which is really understanding the other side and believing that we're all sort of have the human, human commonalities and we're much more alike then we are different. And then the final one is soulful, which is the title of the book. And soulful is really about blending skills that you have, what you're talented at, what you're accomplished at with purpose, and which is really uh, doing something good, putting something good into the world. And for me, in my 20 years of advertising, I tried to create a book of, you know, we're all persuading and pitching and selling at some uh, point all day long, whatever we're doing, whether we're trying to land a job, get a promotion, convince our boyfriend or girlfriend to go to a restaurant they don't want to go to, a trip they don't want to take, uh, getting our kids to brush their teeth before school, whatever it is, all day long, there's these micro moments of persuasion where we're really just trying to get people to come over to our way of thinking and get them to do what we're trying to get them to do. And persuasion to me is sort of a loaded word, which is why I like the juxtaposition with soulful, because I think if you follow these principles and the habits that come out of the principles, you can really uh, be successful in business and create personal character that I think will, uh, you know, help you in your in your career and in your personal life. So that's what I try to put down in this book. Well, and I think as well as that, you know, you build integrity when you do it right, like you're talking about. I mean, it's okay to be persuasive, but like you said, you don't want to be the greasy salesperson or the self-deluded blowhard. Um, You know, we have a pretty good example of that in the White House, right? So, um, you know, you, you write about David Bowie's originality. And you as a young man were impressed with his style. And I think most of my listeners can relate because we're kind of about the same age. We all listen to Bowie's music. You state that Bowie was irresistible. Why do you believe that he was so irresistible? What was it about Bowie that made him more persuasive in your estimation than maybe some of the other groups at that time that you, you know, you were listening to as well? Well, I think his music obviously was was really amazing, but I think if you if you just decoupled his music without the the man uh, and the character, I don't think it would he would have been one of the biggest you know rock stars of all time. Uh, what really pushed him over was when he started at his record label, he was 
David Jones, and he was making folk music that was, he was basically copying Bob Dylan's music. And that's what his label wanted him to do. And his records didn't sell anything. And then he went away, and he went to a Buddhist monastery. He created a, an arts lab. He experimented with different, he was really trying to discover who he was and what made him tick. He started, he got into mime of all things, but he really developed this sort of strength of character and confidence in himself and knowledge about who he was as a person and what his likes and dislikes were and what he wanted to form as sort of performance art for music. And he leaned into it in a way that really, the fact that he was so fearless and the, the, you know, was he man or woman? Was he transgender? It was so unclear where he was coming from, but he was coming from this sort of original artistic voice place that just drew you to him because he, he performed and sang with such confidence, but, you know, at the time was so um, ambiguous. You, you weren't sure what he was, but you knew that he was unafraid. And I think that idea of being fearless and leaning into who he was without caring about the repercussions or whatever anyone thought, I think is what made him successful. And to me, that's what originality is all about. Original and individuality. You know, uh, yeah. I would say one of the <clears throat> most people that I could say, I mean, there's been many since him that, that you could say artists that have done that. And I think you state this uh, really good because it's about personal character. You say it's not about facts or argument, uh, that the most powerful modes of persuasion don't have much to do with evidence, argument, or logic. What, yeah. are, what are some of the brands that you see or brand spokespeople um, that you've seen um, that you see that are using personal character to persuade people to purchase products? So like uh, like celebrity endorsements or characters that have been created? Well, characters that have been created or celebrity endorsements. I, I see ads out there and certain ads, let's face it, they attract me and others repel. Um, you know, I keep thinking about the Geico ad that runs on TV all the time. I'm like, geez, why does Geico run these ads, right? Um, goofy little ads and then you see the progressive ads, progressive insurance. And I always wonder... Okay, it gets my attention, but they're really annoying as hell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some people love those Geico ads. You know, it's I think I think part of advertising is um, also just standing out because it being memorable. And so, when you think of insurance, the first insurance company that pops into mind is Geico, right? Um, and they just hammered it, and that's one path. Like that's one path you can do in advertising which is just volume. If you're spending hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, at, at a bit, at reach with your message, it kind of almost doesn't matter what the message is because you're just going to remember it. And when you think about a need state, like I have to buy insurance or re-up insurance, um, that works. And you just remember Geico and they just landed on a, gecko geico ridiculous simple you know 14 year old uh boy <laughs> right, right 
And they well, just hammered same, it, hammered it, hammered it. Hammered it's it. the same thing with Flo. Uh, you yeah. know, I even know her name. That's the gal from Progressive, right? Um, but you're right. They hammer those ads so much. You just They're just so persistent. And I think sometimes uh, you get, uh, you have fatigue, uh, you know, because you hear them so much or you, you know, they're just a challenge. But, you know, you are a great storyteller. And you believe that the art of storytelling is quite persuasive. Now, I particularly don't see the stories in those ads, but how would you tell our listeners to become better storytellers and to use those stories for persuasion? You're right. Uh, Well, you're right about the ads. Not every ad has a story. Um, Sometimes it's just getting the, it's like a one note joke, getting that across and getting the name of the company out there. But um, in terms of personal persuasion, outside of advertising, I think storytelling is one of the most powerful and important techniques. And I think a lot of the habits and things that I cover in the book, you're going to naturally, maybe you're a naturally generous person and you don't have to work on that area. Maybe you're naturally uh, empathetic and you don't have to work on that area. But other areas like maybe you're not a, a great storyteller. All of these can be learned skills. It's not that we're born um, automatically having these capabilities. Anything that you practice and do enough um, eventually becomes a habit and eventually becomes part of your character and just who you are. But it's all from repetition. And becoming a great storyteller, um, you know, something that I've always worked on. And I think the there's a couple ways you can do become a great storyteller. One is to collect uh, great stories, you know, think about stories in your life. I always keep a notebook with me or a, a section of a notebook where I collect stories that sort of I remember that happened to me throughout my life or new ones that are happening to me at that moment in time. And I always think take note of the idea or the allegory in that story and what that story might um, illustrate and how I can express that in in different situations. And in the book, I have a ton of stories from my own career where lessons were extrapolated that I learned by making mistakes or failing. And there's always sort of a lesson at the end of the story. So I think one technique is collecting great stories. Uh, Two, storytelling is editing. So once you know a good story and you write it out, just making sure it's sharp and clear and you're giving the audience the right information, and then you have to sort of rehearse those stories. You don't have to memorize them, but you have to know, you know, the first and last line of the story, um, that type of thing, uh, writing that down. Stories aren't just going to pop into your head. You have to practice. you got to write them down, learn them, know the first and ending and the, the sort of main thread or takeaway. The other thing is that, that I've really um, honed in on is, looking at the way other people tell stories, whether it's a a comedian or an actor or a documentary that you watch, you know, kind of studying how other people um, tell stories. And the other, the, the final technique that I think is really impactful is not to overlook familiar stories. So it doesn't have to be a story that comes from your life all the time. It can be stories that are um, like, I like Blade Runner is one of my favorite movies. I always love talking about uh, the original Blade Runner. I always talk about like the power of humanity and, you know, these um, these sort of human replicants, uh, how they really just 
strive to be human and, and that we can't really take our humanity and life for granted. And I always sort of bring that story up. So any story that could be historical, could be from a political figure, it could be from a book or a movie, something that talks to you and speaks to you. Don't just think about why you like that movie or why you like that book. Think about the takeaway from it, and then you can sort of call that story up when the moment arises where it makes sense um, to have that at hand. So those are just a few techniques that I cover in the book. Well, yeah, and I think artful storytelling is important, and I think some of the best stories that you use to persuade are stories from personal experience that are, um, I'm not going to say embellished, but that they're real, they're live, they're, they're really come from the heart, they're told with compassion. You know, those are the stories that convince people um, to follow you, all right? Um, and, you know, you, you talked earlier a bit about a, your four principles, originality, generosity, empathy, and being soulful. And when you listen to those words, they're not uh, always associated with advertising, you know? Yeah. What is it about these four principles that helps make someone, you would say, anybody, uh, a soulful person to convince somebody or persuade somebody because you know those four you know they're they're very important but they're not the ones that most people think about when they're thinking about somebody convincing them yeah i think that's true i think um for me i approach persuasion based on it's kind of a more radical idea it's based on character and it's based not on what you're saying but who's saying it and do people have you built uh trust and respect with the person that you're trying to persuade and to me that character is is everything and i think because we live in an age of distrust where there's um you know phishing scams you can't trust your data on facebook fake news uh you're not sure there's misinformation out there trust is like at an all-time low and i think by having this good quality of character that is consistent and um and positive really i think that's what builds trust with someone else and makes you soulfully persuasive so i think that's really what i'm trying to get at and a lot of the old uh, selling book handbooks uh like uh how to win friends and influence people laws of attraction some of a lot of those are really based on um mirroring the other person, not leaning into who you are, but mirroring the other person, getting them to say yes first, uh, trying to um, connect with them in a way that, you know, is a could, could be considered inauthentic versus working on yourself and leaning into your characteristics. So I'm, I was trying to debunk a lot of the old uh, selling techniques. Like one of them that you always hear is always be closing ABC from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and I talk about never be closing, which is really about looking at selling and, and, and building your career as playing the long game and not trying to be transactional, but trying to build long-term relationships for the long haul that eventually over time will pay off uh, big dividends. Oh yeah. And most definitely. And I think much of that uh, in, not in a, uh... A spite of him, but the old NLP that Tony Robbins used to talk about was mirroring and matching. 
And many of my listeners remember that. Um, I wouldn't say that's where Tony is today, but the reality is, is when he first started speaking, that's what he talked about was how to mirror and match. Um, And that was quite a persuasive technique. But I think as people's consciousness have grown in their spiritualness has grown, um, you begin to look at that. Now, I'm going to use an example here because many listeners out there have gone to an Apple store. And you state that thinking and acting in purely transactional terms will sabotage your attempts to persuasion, that we need to be authentic human beings in all of our interactions. What are some of the examples? Now, I'm using the Apple store of companies that have excelled at training their employees to be authentic in dealing with their customers. Um, And I'm going to use Apple as my example because – there's nobody there trying to persuade me when I walk in the door to buy an iPad or to get a watch or to do anything. They're there to help and serve. It's that simple. Just answer my questions, help and serve, and you're going to make the sale. That's a great example. I love that example. Um, And, you know, but we don't find so many people doing that anymore. Right. Well, I think – I think companies that are successful, you know, that's one way Apple did it, but I think companies that are successful also have a larger goal or a larger mission that their employees are working towards. So uh-huh. one example I love is Patagonia and Patagonia's, you know, do no, un- do no unnecessary harm. And it's all about, we make, we make um, products for the outdoors but we, what the reason why we exist is to get people to love the environment so that we can save the planet. I mean, that's their higher order mission. So their employees, while they're selling clothes and products and they want to make their quarterly numbers, they're, they're moving towards a higher order. They're not just looking at being transactional and selling as much merch as possible. They're going towards a higher order. Yeah. Ben and Jerry's, which is one of our clients, they sell ice cream, but ice cream is the product that they sell. But what they're really trying to do is is help the world. So when they buy, when you buy a product, this product is about fair trade. This product is about immigration. This product is about LGBT rights. And so they're baking into their ice cream literally a a part of it as a soulful good piece that when you buy the ice cream, you're not just buying ice cream, you're helping do something larger. And that's what they strive for as the founders of the company that the whole company ladders behind. And guess what? That ends up being uh, resulting, well, they make a great product. Their ice cream's amazing. But that results in better sales. That results in them beating the market. Because you know when you buy Ben & Jerry's, they're doing, you're like, yeah, I know these guys are doing something good as a business. Yeah, no, and I and I think socially responsible companies like that. I, I would use an example. You know, I recently flew internationally, and I had to fly domestic before I flew internationally. Without naming an airline, I, the domestic seems like you're bothering the people. You get on an international flight, and it's like, how can I help and serve you? Now, Lufthansa was the international flight. The domestic flight was United. The point I'm trying to make here is, is that. You're selling comfort to people that are there. Your employees should be trained to basically 
do that same thing. And that is how do I help the help and serve this person, no matter what airline it is. Um, You know, you have four rules when it comes to playing the long game for deep, consistent payoffs, you say. What are those four rules and how would our listeners apply those into their business? Right. So, I mean, those those four rules, when I talk about um, that's in the sort of idea of never be closing, um, that sort of idea. And I think um, what I what I like to, to think about with those rules are never sell anything you wouldn't buy yourself. And so I've had this experience where I have tried to start a company or a product or service that I knew in my gut wasn't like, I'm like, I wouldn't buy this, but I guess people are into it. So I'll try to sell it. And that always ends up being a bad idea and you end up falling on your face. And so uh, that's one golden rule I have in life and at the company is we'll never back a brand or we'll never hawk or market a brand that we don't see ourselves um, participating in or buying ourselves. And if you don't believe in it, it's going to be very, very hard to convince or persuade someone else uh, to buy it. So that's one rule. Never sell anything you want to buy yourself. Don't be afraid to say no. We're so used to growing, growing, growing as, as Americans and capitalism uh, that we always have to increase, which, I mean, I do in my company too, so I'm not like immune to it. But don't be afraid to say no when you know it's the wrong project or the wrong deal or something that you're not uh, comfortable um, doing. Uh, so that's sort of another another fundamental one. Um, and then um, one that I really focus on is not letting relationships drop to zero. So I, I have uh, once a week, or actually uh, four times a week, not once a week, four times a week, I spend 20 minutes on reaching out to people that I haven't spoken to in a while. And this could be clients, family, friends, clients where I didn't get their business, clients that have left. And I just try to stay top of mind with them. And I do that through sending them an article in an industry that they're related to, sending them uh, maybe a book or a text message of some topic that we know through our relationship that we're connected on. And, you know, simple, simple use of technology, instead of just posting all your the things that you've read that are interesting on social media, think about the people that might react well or the people that you know that are interested in that same topic and send it to them. So that's a, another one. And then put some skin in the game. When you're thinking about building your business, think about what you're giving up to get something from your prospective client or your audience. So my, my four rules to sort of play in the long game or never be closing or don't sell anything you wouldn't buy yourself. Don't be afraid to say no. Don't let your relationships drop to zero and try to put some skin in the game where it makes sense. Those are great rules for people to to live by. And you also have 11 habits that will make anyone a master influencer. And I'm going to have to tell my listeners that you are going to have to get the book to get those uh, 11 oh, yeah. habits because uh, we're running out of time with Jason here. But okay, I want to... Cool. I want to end this, Jason, with what I think is uh, something that's used frequently and will kind of be our summation question. You know, in your chapter on Give Yourself Away, you speak about uh, the try it first idea. 
software companies use it, food companies use it, everybody uses it to try and get somebody hooked. Why has this concept in your estimation worked so well for so many years? And what are some of the other ways to get people persuaded to buy either a product or a service other than try it, you'll like it? Some other ways to get people to buy a product or service just besides try it. Oh, like yeah, I talk about how spot you'd get like 30 free days on Spotify uh, or you get that Netflix trial for free and then you sign up for it. Yeah. That, that idea. Yeah. So yeah, beyond, so that's the modern version of sampling is, uh, you know, you download some, you see that in apps all the time. You download something for free. And then when you want to upgrade or you have to get to another level in a game, you got to pay. Right. So yeah. um, that happens all the time. Um, uh, so I would say some other ways that people persuade are, are, you know, one, uh, one new way of doing it is this idea of purpose and what your company stands for that we've talked about. That's another way where you're getting people to not just buy your product or service, but buy into some like-minded belief that they have. So like Tom's, wear. like Tom's shoes, right? You buy a pair or give a pair away, right? Tom's shoes, Warby yeah. Parker. Yeah. Uh, those types of companies where, yeah, hey, I need a pair of glasses anyways. I might as well be helping the world as well. And you yeah. see you see bigger companies doing that now, like Quilted Northern is one of our clients. They have a they're planting like three trees for every tree that they use to make their product. And so Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. That's it, really yeah, so cool. it's cool because when you do that, you're like, Well, I gotta buy toilet paper anyways. I might as well buy it from the guys that are, you know, giving back to the planet. And so I think that's another idea where you don't need to sample, but you're buying into a bigger order. Um, and, you know, companies are really consumers because of social media are having, are pushing companies to this higher order. I don't think they would have naturally been led there themselves, but they're seeing that their consumers are demanding it from them and that the competitors, if they start something are doing uh, better than they are. So I think that's, um, the new, I guess the new, the new, uh, version of sampling is purpose. Well, I think if you look at companies today versus our government and our government, not having much leadership, um, we are looking to the companies today to take steps and actions, uh, that are actually going to make the world a better place. And you do see a lot of companies stepping up. Uh, the most recent one that reminds me is the founder of, uh, or the grandson or, or son of Dick's Sporting Goods saying we're not going to sell guns um, and him taking a loss or actually reducing his annual sales by three quarters of a billion dollars as a result of doing that because of all the Dick's stores pretty much dropping selling guns. He finally just said something had to be done but can't get the government to do it. That's a great example of capitalism at work where somebody is saying I'm standing up for a cause and it's not because you want to come to Dick's to buy something. Uh, I, I just think that that's really exceptional when you think about it. Right. That's incredible. I mean, I love that story. It's like, yeah. So yeah. And it's, it's a great story because we need everybody to stop selling firearms in my estimation, especially automatic firearms. So uh, this guy set an example, anybody out there, I'm sure, has heard the story. It's been on 60 Minutes. He wrote a book about it. Uh, so the reality is it's there. It's real people. Um, Jason, a pleasure having you on Inside Personal Growth. 
Uh, for all my listeners, we'll put links uh, to Mechanism. We'll put links to The Soulful Art of Persuasion. The book link, uh, we've been on with Jason Harris today from New York. And definitely get the books so that you can learn about the 11 habits that will make anyone a master influencer. Jason, uh, pleasure having you on the show. Uh, nice speaking with you and you spending a little bit of time uh, giving us your wisdom about how to be a soulful persuasion artist. Thank you so much for having me on. I thought I had a blast and uh, I really appreciate the time. This podcast is brought to you by Whitney Johnson, the author of a new Harvard Business Review book entitled Build an A-Team, Play to Their Strengths, and Lead Them Up the Learning Curve. Please listen to podcast number 751, where Whitney and Greg discuss the importance of building a team who are excited to continually be learning and propel their careers along the S-curve, as she explains it. Better morale and higher performance happen through learning states, Whitney. The best bosses know this, and they know how to make it happen. Please join Whitney and Greg on podcast number 751 for this very engaging and informative podcast about building an A-team. For more information about Whitney and her new book, please visit www.whitneyjohnson.com. Thanks for listening.